Welcome to the Third Round Picks Podcast. With me today is a special guest, Ignacio Risotto. You can find him on Twitter uh, at Ireball, E-Y-R-E, Ball, and his work on the Stepien, and also Adam at Mbibs, uh, Mike Bibbins is also with me today. Richard may or may not be joining us. We will find out together later on the podcast. Today we have a very special episode talking about some of the best international guys in 2019 class, as well as a couple of guys that will probably be featured in future classes, but are also part of the conversation for the current class. Ignacio, how are you doing today? Welcome to the show. Great. I'm, I'm doing great. Thanks for, for the invitations and thanks for having me. Uh, I don't know how the weather it is up there. It's summer here, so it's like 90 degrees outside. And I can turn on my fan because uh, it gets into the microphone. So I'm I'm making a real sacrifice to to be on this podcast. Well, Bibbs, how are you feeling in South Carolina? I'm not quite as warm as Ignacio appears to be, but it's actually it's actually about 70 degrees here today. So um, I can't complain. Yeah, and in Texas right now, it's weird. Like it rarely gets cold, and when it's cold. It's like 40 degrees, 35 degrees it's Fahrenheit. So that's like, I don't know, one degree Celsius, two degrees. I don't know. But maybe I, I don't have my Celsius to Fahrenheit. So, so clear. It's Celsius here. So, yeah, because it's, it's Uruguay. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's rarely snows in Texas. So we it's kind of sad because we always want it to snow, but it never does. And if it does snow, it's in February. Or know any better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's I mean, it, it never snows enough for it to be a problem. It just is enough right. for us to not have to go to school. <laughs> or the black ice. Oh no. But uh anyway. We're gonna wanna get started. Uh Bibbs, you watch Sekudin Boya, what are your thoughts on him? And then uh you get a chance to talk to Ignacio about him. Alright, so uh, yeah, so Sekou, uh, for him, I went back and watched some of his film from last year just to kind of get a baseline uh, before I watched some of his film from this year, this season. Uh, I got three total games in. So as of last year, I was kind of down on how I, what I saw from him. I don't know if it was just a bad game, but it seemed like him and the coach were not getting along in that game. His body language was terrible. Um I liked his physical profile, like he looks the part, but I was really concerned. So then when I watched the film from this year, it seems like a light has kind of switched on for him to me. Um, he's a he's a good size, 6'9", 230, so prototypical, what you would want from a small forward. Uh, he's got a really strong base, like thick legs, uh, long arms. Uh, his shooting is not as great as you would want it to be, but, you know, that's something that he can work on. I think his form is okay. Um, he has really good footwork on D from what I can tell. Um, and I mean, he runs the floor. Well, uh, my concern would be his, how casual he seems at times when the ball's not directly in front of him on offense and on defense. Um, but I'd like to hear what Ignacio has to say about him before I go yeah. say anything more. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you hit the nail on the head basically with the the big selling points of, of Dumbuya as a prospect. Um, his size for his position and for a perimeter defender are great. Uh, six foot nine with a six foot 11 wingspan. Um, one thing I really like about Dumbuya besides his size is just how quick to react 
his to place on the perimeter. Uh, this is a guy who can rotate on time, that can, when he's defending in the corner, he can rotate and, and go into the paint to, to contest shots. And a guy that gets a lot of deflections in, in the passing lanes. Um, he's also really good. Uh, he has really good lateral mobility, not lateral quickness, but mobility. So that allows him to, when he's facing the ball handler, he's, it allows him to stay in front all the way to the rim and, and contest the shot there. Um, in terms of the shooting, again, um, the results haven't been there so much. Uh, he's only shooting 29% from three this season on less than two attempts per game. But this is a guy who has improved his shooting split each and single year. Um, and like you said, the form could be worked upon, but it's not uh, like something like I would say, oh, this guy is never going to shoot on, at right. the NBA level due to his form. Um, this is a guy in terms of shooting that moves really well off the ball, that knows where to be uh, to get the ball and, and get a shot off. And an underrated uh, thing about Dumbuya is how he can hit pull-up shots. Um, this is not a guy shooting 29% only on catch-and-shoot uh, attempts. This is a guy that is shooting off motion. He's coming off screens with the ball in his hands. He's creating space with his handling, pulling up. So I expect that type of, of player to be uh, a bit less efficient as, as a shooter. One thing I want to add to what you said is that uh, I really like his handles for his size. Um, yes. He's super fluid for a six foot nine player. And, you know, it drives me crazy when people talk about Dumbuya being raw or being like a project because those handles uh, and that offensive footwork, he has put a lot of work in and, right. and, and you can really tell. So he's really polished. As, as a handler um, but you know there there are definitely concerns um, I think uh, the first concern I have maybe is if he can create for others if he can pass the ball um, his turnover numbers are, are a bit worrisome but I'm more worried about him just you know throwing careless passes and right. passes that Get, get stolen easily. So that's the part he needs to work in. I think his feel for the game is there. He can make some reads at, at some times, but he needs to you know, work on being a better handler and a better creator for someone else. And the, the last thing, and I, I know I'm, um, uh, I've been talking about for a long time, but it's his age. Uh, he will... He just turned 18. He will be right. 18 until December 23, which makes him one of the youngest, if not the youngest prospect in the 2019 draft. So this is a guy that has been playing pros for the last three years that got to the French first tier of basketball as a 17-year-old, and he's part of that rotation. So right. he, he still has a lot of time and to to improve and and i think that's that's what makes me be part somewhat high on dumbuya i i wouldn't call it maybe like a top 10 guy but i think he should be around the lottery 
No, and I, I'm glad you said everything that you said because I don't disagree with any of it. I did want to defer to you on some of those things. Uh, but the first note I have is that he's comfortable with the ball in his hands, which surprised me because I expected a, a more raw player. Um, like you mentioned, his feel for the game. Like there's times where he's cutting off the ball to the, oh, he moves to the open space. He's not just standing around. Um, but it seems to me, I don't know if he's maybe more advanced than some of the guys he's playing with, but sometimes it seems to me that he's almost bored on on the court. Like it's too easy for him almost. Um, I think he could be a guy that maybe doesn't get a lot of hype coming into the draft, but that shows up in summer league and is like killing, killing it uh, just because of the higher level of competition, um, that the stakes being increased for him, things like that. Like, I think he's a guy that could accidentally explode if he puts it together. He's got that many skills that are already polished and uh, a lot of upside. The only thing that's really questionable about what he's doing right now, like you mentioned, his shooting is a little bit lower than maybe you would want it to be, and his uh, turnovers. I, I had a note here that he has a lot of risky cross-court passes or lazy passes that he throws. Yeah, um, with exactly. I, we, I, I think that I haven't mentioned them uh, is that uh, his... I, I wouldn't say like he's like super explosive, but I think he's athletic enough so he won't be limited by athleticism once he gets to the NBA level. So all of these things we're talking about, like his quickness, his ability to move his feet, his leaping ability, all those things I think are really translatable to the NBA because he has the athletic package, like you said. This is a guy who moves really well, who can really run the floor. Um, one thing I'm concerned about Dumbuya, it's not so much about Dumbuya, but it's about the NBA. It's like they will see like a six foot nine athletic guy and they will go, oh, he's a small ball center. Uh, Dumbuya is not a center. Um, right. The times where he's asked to defend the rim, it has gone poorly for him because he doesn't just doesn't have the strength to uh, play defense at the rim. He can help. He can be like a secondary rim protector, like a guy coming from the weak side and blocking shots or, or contesting. But right. if there's an NBA team looking at Dumbuya and saying, oh, we can, you know, make him a small ball center that can, you know, handle the ball, you're going to give up a lot on, on defense because he can move, get moved off of his spots really, really easily. Right. And I wouldn't even play him at the four a lot um, against most teams um, because, I mean, and he's, he's an, I think he could be like an elite perimeter defender he, like you said we've said uh, a couple times here he moves his feet very very well um there's a couple plays where i watched him cut off a fast break by himself like effortlessly just get back in front of the guy and make him uncomfortable forcing guys out of bounds or forcing them into making you know bad passes because they've gone too deep and he's all over them or he gets a block that way like yeah i i'd hate to do it but he kind of reminds me of frank nilakina in that way where uh, just, I don't know, just something about the way he's able to move and use his length and his body to keep guys in front of him. It's, it's a special ability that not a lot of guys have. Well, it's it's funny that you mentioned Nelikina because they were both on that same uh, 
French team, I think it was 2016, the under-18 French team that won the European Championship in, in 2016, right. where Nilikina, that was his breakout year, and Dumbuya was a 15-year-old, and that was the time where he stepped into the spotlight. And between Nilikina and Dumbuya and other pieces that that French team had, they were a lockdown team. They, right. they were, would lock you down, they would switch everything one through five, and I think that could be the upside with Dumbuya on defense. Uh, a switch, everything guy, uh, but you don't want him protecting the rim on, on defense. Definitely not. Right. All right. That's a safe assessment of him. Yeah, for sure. I just wanted to ask a couple questions based on what I've been hearing. Um, first off, you were, we're talking about, you know, potential lottery prospect, just size, has a ha- handle to his game is strong but wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily want him protecting the rim you know six nine how would you compare him to 2017 prospect uh jonathan isaac even though isaac is probably significantly larger he's like 611 well um isaac was one of my favorite prospects in 2017 um i think isaac uh first off uh, isaac has way better size i think Isaac measured that six foot eleven with a seven foot wingspan, if I'm correct. Um, then I think he was really more developed as a shooter than what Dumbuya is right now. Um, and while Isaac didn't really have that feel for the game that you want in terms of uh, a guy creating for others, I feel like Isaac didn't have the the lapses. Uh, that Dumbuya has where he throws like those like lazy or careless passes. With Isaac, it was more of, um, if I recall correctly, his turnover ratio to assist wasn't exactly positive, but it wasn't as negative as Dumbuya has right now. So if you want to say that Dumbuya is a player that is in the same mold of Isaac as a guy that can could play three or four that's extremely skinny but he can really be an elite defender and he can create his own shot then I would agree but I think that Isaac was way more advanced than than what Dumbuya is right now all right and then another question based on what Biz was hearing about uh Dumbuya's interactions with with his coach at uh, Poitiers uh, do you have any insight on what was going on during that time? Not really. Um, I One thing that I, I was always concerned about Dumbuya is why he never played FIBA again. Um, I was expecting to see him play FIBA this year for France. I thought it was, uh, it was going to be a really good uh, chance to see him against most other elite prospects that we'll discuss right now and he didn't play and he wasn't injured so I, I always thought that was weird um, I don't know if anything happened with his coach at, at Poitiers and but yeah you can you can see at times in, in the court like um, like Mike said that I, I I wouldn't say he's uninterested. I think it gets him when he comes off the bench. It gets him a while to to get on his get rhythm. 
Yeah, gotcha. yeah. Gotcha. Uh, I I see him start for um, Poitiers in in the second tier of of French basketball last year, and you could see him right away. He was competitive. I think it's maybe a thing that he doesn't have like that switch. Okay, I'm in the court. I I I have to compete right now. You know, he has um, to warm up to it. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I th I think that's the thing, but I I'm not super concerned about. It. Okay, okay. And I'll and I'll add just for you, Max. If you if you're looking for a comparison, I think the one I would go with is uh, OG Ananobi. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, I was I wasn't really going for an exact comparison as much of like comparing guys that both went in similar spots and like just comparing aspects of their game just for the sake of conversation. But uh we're gonna try to move on now to the next guy. Ignacio, this guy's all yours. Luka Samanich. Yes. Um well I first off I've written uh, a really lengthy article on the Stepian about Samanich. So I have not no, if you've read that that article, uh, you're not gonna find anything new here because I spent like a month writing about him. But um, doing a bit of a recap, uh, Samanich was widely seen uh, on the preseason as the second best international prospect. Um, he played in Barcelona in Spain up until last season and left for Union Olimpija, who plays in the Adriatic League. It's in a Slovenian team. Um, uh, I'm going. I'm doing a parenthesis here. Um, he's not the first prospect to leave Barcelona or be unhappy with how Barcelona uh, manages minutes for their young prospects. Uh, look up uh, a recent article about Rodion Skouroux, who played up in Barcelona last year, and he felt like they were trying to hide him from the NBA world. And with Samanich, he wasn't getting minutes in the main Barcelona team, so that's why he left for, for Slovenia. Um, Samanich played uh, recently in the under-18 European Championships with Croatia. I've seen people... Uh, saying that the performance was uh, disappointing or up and down, um, and 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 I can see that. Um, I think uh, Samanich. The first thing you like about Samanich is uh, his combination of size and fluidity. Um, he's six foot ten, uh, really wide frame. Even if he lacks strength at the moment, uh, and he uses that size on sorry that size on offense to first to get to the rim he's a really good slasher he is decent to good with the ball in his hands he can really attack closeouts or take his men off the dribble when facing up one-on-one -on -one. um then he when he gets to the rim he can finish with finesse or explosiveness uh if he has enough you know if he has a lane, if he has a straight line, he can finish there. Um, and in, on the inside, when he gets the ball on the inside, he has the size and fluidity to post up. He can put it on the floor and he can quickly turn around and, and, and face up. So, so that's another thing in his scoring arsenal. Maybe the most intriguing aspect of Samanich and the thing we've all been expecting him to take the leap is his potential to stretch the floor. Um, he's a quick shooter for his size. 
especially off the catch. He doesn't need more preparation to shoot. And his upper body mechanics are generally compact and he has a repeatable stroke. And while he's shooting only 31% from three, from three this, this season, he has been a 74% free throw shooter during his career. So that could indicate some, some future improvement on, on this area. In terms of defense, I think Samanich is the best part is his potential as a switchable big. Uh, he does a good job staying in front of ball handlers and contesting shots at the rim. Um, while he's not really explosive or quick to react, he really moves well laterally and he has the ability to change directions as a defender, which I always think that's an underrated aspect of a perimeter defender. Uh, you can be you know, attacking Samanich, and if you pull the ball back, if you get into a step back, Samanich is quick to you know, go back and, and keep contesting you, uh, which doesn't happen with another prospect that we'll, we'll discuss a bit later. Um, he can, at times... On the perimeter, he can, you know, um, he can get beaten off the dribble. But when he does get beaten off the dribble, he's really quick to turn his hips, and he has really long legs that that allow him to to cover ground quickly. So we have up until this point, Samanich, six foot ten, slasher uh, that can play defense on the perimeter. Uh, there are concerns. The first uh, and the, the concern that I think encapsulates a lot of smaller concerns around his game is uh, his physical limitations. Only a six foot ten wingspan, a guy that doesn't have a lot of strength, so that affects first his versatility and effectiveness as a finisher at the rim. This uh, Samanich always goes to his right hand, and if you take away his right hand, he doesn't have l neither the strength to overpower you. He doesn't have the left hand to, to go around other angles, and he doesn't have the length to, to finish out a length. So if you contest effectively a shot, he's not as effective on the interior as he should be. And that lack of strength also affects his ability to pass the ball. Um, I, I've always seen some managed talk around Samanich, sorry, as a passer. But in Europe, he always passed out of the post because he had smaller defenders on him. But if I, I wonder if with his lack of strength, what's the effectiveness of having him posting up in the NBA? Uh, I, I, I don't think that's, that's going to be effective at all because the reason why he could pass the ball is it was he was just bigger than anyone else in Europe. So when they doubled him, he kicked the ball out. Uh, I mean, he's an accurate passer from a standstill. He can, you know, hit teammates uh, where they they need the ball. But I I don't see him being as effective as a passer. And the other thing, his lack of strength and his lack of length um, affects is just how physical he is on defense. Uh, on the interior, he can get bodied by even smaller players or get taken out of place uh, when when he gets spun. And you know, if he's going to be this guy that you want to um, switch on the perimeter, uh, this is a guy that really uh, struggles against screens 
even if the screen is set by a smaller player. So yeah, he's switchable, but if you make him, you know, chase a shooter around screens, he's gonna stay stay behind. And and that's that's my concern with, with Samanic. And my final concern besides his shooting consistency, which we I, I already talked about, is his tunnel vision. Um he has especially when he's asked to be the man for his team, uh, he has really bad tunnel vision. He takes shots he shouldn't take. Um, he goes for contested shots on the interior instead of um, you know just kicking the ball out to teammates. Uh, he posted up 3.8 turnovers per 36 minutes in FIBA this summer. So his aggressiveness uh, on offense at times gets the best of him. And right now, playing in the Adriatic League, he's posting up an 18 uh, turnover percentage to only a 5 assist percentage. So, yeah, I, I think there are definitely concerns with Simonic. And if I can make a, a, a parallel to the NBA, you know, Simonic is advertised as this, like, you know, oh, he's a big who can handle. He's a six foot ten guy who can handle. But we had we had a lot of bigs who can handle lately on the NBA who come out of college or or the international ranks with with that label on them, and then they just get to the NBA and can't do anything else. Like, right. you know, three guys that got their rookie contract options declined this year uh, are Henry Ellenson, Dragon Bender, and Tyler Lydon. Maybe they those three guys shot around like 40% from three on a good volume, they would have gotten their options, but they didn't. And they were all advertised as bigs who can handle. They got to the NBA and they couldn't do anything else but that. And I think that's a concern around Samanich. That's definitely a concern. What else can he do besides being six foot ten and, and handle the ball? Yeah. I think the big thing is that you see these two skills that is super attractive because the hot commodity in the NBA right now is the shooting and playmaking for but uh if you don't have much else to your game outside of those two things and you're talking about drafting this guy, you know, top 20 in the lottery, like, there better be something else. Otherwise, it doesn't really make sense unless they are so obviously developed and playing at such a high level, which Samanich isn't really doing that. He's playing in, like, the league and the FIBA Basketball Champions League. It's not like he's playing in the Euro Cup or yes. the, the Euro League or something like that. He's playing in the Basketball Champions League. Um, it's um, a European tournament that's organized by FIBA itself and not uh, EuroLeague, who organizes EuroCup and, and EuroLeague. Um, just like you said, uh, I think Samanic is a good bet at the late first round, early second round. I wouldn't. I, I don't think that's, that anyone is thinking about drafting Samanich in the lottery or the top 20 right now, but I would certainly not draft him there. Um, I think like a lot of players, but Samanich, I think the swing skill is his shooting. If he could just like get to maybe 38, 39% from three, I think it would be 
his draft stock would be a lot higher than than what it is right now. All right. Um, I think it's time to move on to a fellow uh, competitor in the Adriatic League with Lucas Simonich. Bibbs, how you feel about Gogo Batadze after scouting some of him last year and seeing some more this season? Yeah, so um, I think Goga is a very interesting prospect. Um, I want to love him, but being a a guy who loves a defensive center, I struggle at times to get past his, from to me at least, his kind of, I don't want to say he's soft in the post on defense, but he allows things that I wouldn't expect a, a guy 6'11", 250 to allow. Uh, I feel like he gets pushed off the spot down low a lot. Um, but as far as what there is to like about him, um, he he's a stretch five. Um, physically, when you look at him on the court, uh, he's got a good body. I think he's slimmed down since last year from what I can tell. Uh, so there's room to add weight. He's comfortable guarding smaller guys on the perimeter. Um, he's very mobile. Um, now he does, when he's guarding a guy, smaller guy on the perimeter, he'll play it so that he doesn't get blown by. So he'll like stay on step back with his hands extended and like be prepared to go backward. So if you want to get the three over him, you're probably going to get it. But, uh, his goal is to not let you get the easy shot. Basically. Um, he's quick with the ball when he gets it in the post. Uh, he's mostly a below the rim player. Um, unless he's got some space, he'll, he'll go up and finish strong. Uh, he's comfortable with the ball in his hands, pushing it up the floor. Uh, he'll put it on the floor to drive from the perimeter. Um, he'll challenge shots at the rim, but again, he's usually backing away when he's challenging shots. Uh, I love his hands. I love him in the pick and roll. And um, he's been working on his shot, apparently. I think he's shooting 48% from three right now with two a game. Yeah, um, exactly. He's got a very quick release. I like his stroke. There's no wasted motion. So I think that's what's going to really keep him in the the top half of the draft is his offensive game, um, despite his defensive flaws. And I believe Max, you asked me last year if I'd be interested in him if he had came out, if we if we could have got him maybe in the second round. And I wasn't last year, but if you put him beside a, a four man that's like a weak side rim protector type, then I could live with it a little bit more. Well, you know, I wonder who that could be, Bibbs. <laughs> you, you can read into that if you like. <laughs> Well, I I think um, the main thing about Bitazde, as you said, is um, just how much he has improved as a shooter. Um, Bitazde wasn't a, a, a reliable shooter up until last year. He had, you know, had his seasons of shooting like 40% on like an attempt per game or an attempt and a half per game. Then last season he shot 21%, but this year he's like back on track with uh, 48% on two attempts per game. Um, but I, I I put so much weight on his shooting because of like you said, uh, I I wouldn't trust him as a rim protector at the NBA. Um, while he does have elite physical tools, uh, six foot eleven with a seven foot two wingspan and a nine foot two standing reach, uh, this is a guy who can elevate decently well from standstill. Not like a super explosive center, but he can elevate enough to get rebounds and to contest shots. But with that being said, 
there's a lack of physicality to his game uh, in not only on defense, but on offense also. But on defense, he can get bodied on the paint. Uh, he is not a guy that's going to impose in the rebounding battle. And which is strange because his, uh, his block numbers this year are really good. Uh, he's blocking 3.5 shots per 36 minutes. And that's in part because, you know, um, Adriatic League is not the most athletic league in the world. Uh, this right. is not uh, this is not Spain. This is not France. Uh, this is uh, a level below the, the the other elite leagues in in Europe. But I, I beyond those those block numbers uh, and beyond uh, some defensive flashes, like while he is not super physical, he generally rotates on time and you know can help on defense, uh, but this is not a guy that you want as your main rim protector on the NBA. So that's why I put so much stock in if his shooting is for real, because if his shooting is for real, then, okay, you have a six foot eleven guy who can hit shots from the outside and maybe be a body uh, on the paint and help with rebounding and some contesting from a standstill with that nine foot two standing reach um the other part of his game which is impressive uh is his ability to create a shot on the interior uh is really fluid below the rim he has excellent and i mean excellent hands to catch passes and to put it on the floor um he's really polished uh he has the fakes the up and unders he has good decent to good footwork and he does a really good job of keeping his pivot foot down all the time so he doesn't get called for travels. And I think that's the main uh, selling point of Vitazde, his ability to shoot the ball from the outside if that's for real. And, you know, just his elite physical profile and his interior self-creation ability. Um I don't have much else to say about Bitazde, and this is like a personal appreciation, but this type, this archetype of player that can create on the interior and might or might not be a shooter and might or might not be uh, an interior defender, I don't really rate that archetype that high currently at the NBA. I don't know if you guys feel the same about it, but... I, it's not a an archetype of player that I found particularly exciting or particularly coveted at the NBA level. For me, I w I definitely agree. Um, just because I I prefer rim protecting big men. Um, I think what's probably going to happen with Batadzi is people are going to look at Jokic and try to make that projection on him. Um, obviously, he's not the distributor that he is but just as a really polished big man who uh, like you said has amazing hands and footwork um in the post um and is kind of mobile uh, put in is comfortable with the ball in his hands period uh there I, I can see people making that type of projection on him and taking him higher than maybe they should all yes. right oh sorry. I, 
I'll no, no problem. Uh, I think uh, he has some feel for the game. Uh, I don't think he's at a Jokic level of feel for the game, nor do I think he's like a secondary, even a secondary creator for others. But, you know, he can make some passes. Uh, he... He plays with, when he has the ball in his hands. He plays uh, on slow motion at times, right. so I don't think how translatable his ability to maybe make a short drive to the rim uh, is to the NBA level. But I think there's something to to build upon. So I can see some people like comparing him to Jokic, and that and because he plays for Mega, just like. Jokic did, and but I don't I don't think they're they're really that that similar. Um, right. But I, he does have his flashes, and he's comfortable with with the ball in his hands, as you said. To me, with Bitats, they comes down to can he be uh, a, a decent rim protector? I mean, are those block numbers in in the Adriatic League something that he can replicate to the NBA? And are, is he shooting for real? Can he shoot the ball? If he can shoot the ball, uh, that will open up a lot of NBA possibilities. Um, I like what you said about that. Um, his shooting me mechanics. Uh, I, I feel like he catapults his shot a little bit, yeah. but, but he does have range. He has a really quick release. He can shoot against pressure. And I like how his salvo and his forearm are on 90 degrees, which is something like you always look for in, in a shooter, especially a big. So, yeah, he has some some potential. I want to see if his shooting and his rim protection are, are for real. Right. Those are the two big keys for him. All right. Well, I was going to ask a question about a comparison, but I looked into that comparison and realized that is the most pointless question of all time because they're actually not very similar, and I was going off of perceptions <laughs> that weren't really accurate. So with that being said, I think it's time to move on to our next prospect, which is uh, Davidis, Davidis Servidis, uh, who plays for Letuvos Rites in the uh, Lithuanian League, and also they play in the Euro Cup. Uh, Ignacio... Uh, we're going to go in and introduce Richard right now. Richard Stamen is finally with us at MazDraft on Twitter, MazDraft.com, writing draft content, of course. How you doing, Richard? I'm pretty good. Thank you for having me, and sorry for the delay on my arrival. <laughs> hey, fashionably late isn't, isn't necessarily a bad thing. How have you been feeling about uh, Davidis Servetus from what you've seen so far? So I haven't seen a lot of them. Um, but I mean, I like his jump shot. That's like the main thing that stuck out to me. Uh, other than that, honestly, I, my international class studying is a little bit behind. I usually do that a lot closer to the draft just because I'm always really scared of the fact that the European players get way longer. They get, they can drop out of the draft almost up to the date. It feels like, so I, I usually wait until about May or June to start studying them, but I've taken an early look at this class and, uh, I like his shot. I like his shot a lot. Yeah, and that's the main thing about Cervetis. Uh, um, you know, Cervetis played, was named the MVP of last year's Adidas Next Generation Tournament in Europe. Um, and 
the main key part about that performance and the performance he has put up from then on is uh, just how good of a shooter he is. Um, and when I mean good as a shooter, I mean uh, good, I mean versatile, and I mean consistent. Um, this is a guy who can, off the catch, he's lethal. Uh, you can't give him space or he'll make you pay. He has excellent mechanics. He sh gets his shot off quickly. He has really good range, so he can shoot. When when we talk about threes in terms of college and, and, and FIBA, we never know with players that always shoot right next to the line. Uh, Servetis can let it fly from from really beyond that three-point line. When I say he's a versatile shooter, I mean his ability to shoot off movement, to create space for himself and pull up from three, um, and just shoot in awkward angles and just coming off screens and letting his shot fly immediately. He doesn't need a lot of time to set his feet and, and get his shot off. So Servitis... Mm, we're going to talk about some of the complementary skills, but he has mastered a key skill in today's NBA, which is shooting. And we're talking about a guy that's six foot eight, uh, who has this ability to shoot. So if Samanic did nothing else, uh, he would still be a really good uh, project as a role player because of his ability to be a versatile shooter at a six foot eight size that would allow him to play different positions on on defense. Um, I think one of the most underrated parts of Servetis is his potential as a secondary creator. Um, he's not a point guard by any means, and he shouldn't be your primary creator. But he has vision to drive and kick. He can make passes on the move. He's quick to react to opposing defenders. And when he gets the ball on the perimeter, he can make the extra pass and, and see open teammates. Um, this is in part due to his ability as a driver. Um, he might not be the quickest guy of the dribble, but he's really good as a, a closer attacker. Um, he can be really good on the early offense because he can get a rebound and go all the way and make a change of speed in the early offense that gets defenders uh, really unorganized. And while he's not a super fluid dribbler, he has enough moves to get his shot off of the dribble or get by his man at times. Uh, he relies more on that handle than on quickness because he is just not quick enough to always get by that, that defender on, on the perimeter. Um, and that lack of quickness might be his uh, biggest concern at the NBA level, uh, both on offense and on defense. Um, on defense, his projection is not really good. Uh, he's only well, 175, uh, 175 pounds, so he's really skinny. He had a hard time as when he was asked to defend on the post. Um, and on the perimeter, he is not super quick to react. He is not super mobile laterally. So I don't think he will be 
able to make a difference as a defender on, on the perimeter. And one thing I need to mention, he has a negative wingspan to height ratio. He's six foot eight and he only has a six foot seven wingspan. So there's a physical limitation there in terms of his defensive projection. But I think uh, Servetis is uh, really good as a role player project. Um, in terms of a guy that can sh really shoot the ball at his size and make sound decisions with, with the ball in his hand. Um, he uh, is not a guy that's going to create a lot of turnovers because he doesn't ask for the ball in his hands that much. So I think he's, he's a really good project as, uh, as a role player in today's NBA. The question, I think it is, how valuable is that in terms of the draft? Do you think a knockdown shooter that can make some passes is, do you think he's a lottery guy? Do you think he's a first round guy? Do you think he's a second round guy? So that, I think, is the biggest question around Servetis. We already know what Servetis is, but I think teams will will differ a lot on how valuable is what Servetis brings. Uh, all right, and uh, if you want to see some more details with uh, some film and in-depth breakdowns, you can find a whole bunch of them on the Stepian. You can find a piece written by Ricky Skrika about um Servetus. you can find a piece talking about how Patadze was last year if you want to get some perspective on how his progress has been from by looking at last year's film the same thing can be said for Demboya as well and then of course you have Ignacio's piece on Simonic anything else to add before we move on to the next tier nope I I think I'm I'm good on on Servetis. Final one more comment uh, in that question about how valuable that is, if you ask me, I think Servetis is an early second round pick this year. Um, until he, you know, can be a more um, a bigger contributor defensively or improve on that crea secondary creator potential, I think up until then I, I wouldn't take him in the first round. All right, and then another question. Just you know, he's skinny. He's like one hundred. You said he was one hundred seventy-five pounds. Um, would you want him to gain like a significant amount of weight? Because he's like, he's like what six eight, six nine, right? Six eight. Yeah, six eight. Would you want him to gain weight to like play a quote unquote four position, or would you want him to like be relatively skinny so he could run off a bunch of screens? Yeah, that's that's a, a really good question. I think I, I don't want to fall into comparisons, but uh, it reminds me a bit of Furkan Korkmaz, uh, the guy that uh, he was drafted in 2016. He's playing for the Sixers right now. Um, I think there's got to be some, some balance there. You don't want him to gain a lot of weight and for him to lose that ability to run off screens. But if he's that skinny, he will be, I don't want to say a liability on defense, but he, I, I wonder how he's going to be able to keep up with the physicality of NBA threes and fours. All right. Now with that, it's time to move on to our only player not in an international league, but is an international player. 
Smilage, we're going to go with Alan Smilagic for the Santa Cruz Warriors, picked fourth in the first round of the NBA G League draft this season. Uh, Ignacio, how are you feeling about him? Well, Smilagic, um, do I, I'll get into his background first and then in, in his game. He played in the third league or third tier, sorry, uh, of Serbian basketball up until recently. He was a rotation piece for the Serbia's uh, 2016 under 16 team. And then he never played a minute at the under 18 levels, uh, even in this year's uh, team who won the tournament. So he was a relatively unknown prospect. Uh, up until this point, and I congratulate whoever uh, found him uh, in Europe because uh, he hadn't played uh, anything that was, you know, anything that you can find on, on YouTube, uh, at least uh, up until 2016. So really good scouting department, whoever found Smilagich. Um so he is right now playing in the G League, in the Warriors G League team, and he has uh, gotten a lot of buzz as this like international, not not really international, but uh, like a sleeper that's not on the NCAA, that's not playing college basketball. Uh, and I've seen even some sites uh, putting him in the first round, which is kind of crazy to me at this point and and i'm uh, getting to why um his biggest selling point as a as a prospect right now i think is his motor um this is a guy that comes off the bench for for santa cruz that brings a lot of energy a lot of toughness to to the lineup whenever he gets into the court this is a guy that loves contact that goes for every 50 50 ball uh, that screens for others. So you you can see how much energy he puts into into playing each single time he gets the opportunity to play. Uh, that allows him to be a really good rebounder. Uh, he his motor is really good on the boards. He really fights on the defensive boards. He has excellent technique. He boxes out opponents immediately, and. On the offensive glass, he has really good instincts uh, to crash the glass from the perimeter. Uh, he has put up 4.8 offensive rebounds per 36, which is a lot uh, this year. Um, then in the rest of his skill set, he has shown some flashes. Like he can make some passes. He can make uh, grab the rebound and make an outlet pass or Santa Cruz at times runs uh, things through him in the high post and let him use his size difference to make passes over the top of the defense. Um, then he's also has some potential as a shooter. He's shooting only 25% from three at this point and he's much more comfortable when he's left open as a shooter. Um, and, but he has some things that, you know, could indicate that there's some potential as a shooter. Uh, he really moves well off the ball to get open, so he knows where to be on the court. And on the interior, when he gets the ball, he's a really good finisher with both hands. He has really soft touch, and he can play through contact. So 
I think like Smilagic is a high motor six foot ten guy that can get buckets on the interior and might or might not be able to shoot. Um, I have a lot of concerns about him and versus physical limitations. Um, he's playing on a G League setting, which is really good because he's testing, you know, just how good he is. Uh, but first limitation is his quickness. He's not super quick to react off the ball. He's not super quick defending in transition. He runs the floor hard, but he's not really there in terms of NBA level speed. And you know, I've seen some people talking about Smile Luggage as a you know possible slasher uh, and as a switch guy, as a perimeter defender. But he doesn't have the uh, ability to. Uh, he doesn't have the body control to do either of those things. So you might remember when we talk about Samanic that I talked about how he could control his body to get back and and play defense on the ball handler whenever the ball handler changed directions. Smilagic, uh, it takes him a while to get back. Uh, he he doesn't have that that body control to change directions in a split second. And the same goes for, for his slashing ability. He can go to the rim on a straight line, but once he get, meets a defender, he can turn the ball really easily because he is, doesn't have that ability to, to change directions. So I guess I see the hype for Smilagic. I, I, I see that he's playing on a really competitive league as an 18-year-old, uh, I see the hype because he was a prospect that really no one had uh, as a viable NBA draft prospect coming into the year. And I see some potential. I think he really needs to to polish a lot of his skills, his shooting, his handles, his passing need a lot of polish. And I think that uh, he doesn't have the athletic package that I will look for for an NBA player. But I think... One underrated part of Smilagic's profile is that as he's playing G League right now, things like his work ethic, his, uh, you know, just his personality, his ability to improve, uh, NBA teams are going to have a lot more access to that and are going to have a lot more reliable information than they have from players they never seen play in, in American soil or that they've only seen in, in college settings. So that that's an underrated part that whenever a player chooses to go to the G League, I think that they are not only choosing to play on the G League, but they are also choosing to showcase all those intangibles that NBA teams really take into account where they're drafting a player. Yeah, it's... Sorry. Go ahead, Matt. That's all you. Yeah, I was going to... I was going to dive right in. I was going to go first, but I was dealing with something. So I think the thing with it is at the G League level, which is obviously is not the NBA level, despite having some caliber athletes, but at the G League level, he's had a lot of, at least in the games I saw, he had a lot of nice moments where he could really get going like downhill. It's not like he's going ridiculously fast, but he just he has momentum behind him and at like that much size, he's still able to like control the ball enough to like keep the dribble 
under his hands and then, you know, dunk it or like finish a layup. But if he obviously, yeah, like you said, if if somebody's in the way, it's going to be problematic. Um, the crazy thing is, is that then you can I've seen this quite a few possessions where he's been like stuck at like, I don't know, like the like I wouldn't say top of the key, but like top of the key on the perimeter. And then like they'll have him like uh, put a pass through the middle to like a cutter or something. It's it's not like Jokic or anything, but it's kind of like kind of reminds you of how Drummond was used for a few years. And I think he's still being used that way now. But and then obviously the hustle is pretty incredible. Uh, the shooting, the main thing is just it's really slow. Like he needs time and space and he needs a lot of it. But at the same time, he's he's not afraid to take it. So that's something. Um, uh, boxing out, like you said, very good at it. Um, I, if I recall correctly, I said on his free throws, he, he felt like he was... I keep getting stuck between, yeah, if he's flat-footed on his free throws or not, and if he like bends his knees enough. But I think I might be getting that mixed up with another guy. But I could be wrong. Um, the weird thing is, on a couple of dunks that I've seen him have where he's on, like, an inside cut, it feels like he gets the ball and it doesn't take him. He doesn't have to bend all the way down and all the way back up despite not being particularly athletic whenever he's, like, you know, two feet away from the rim and then dunk it. He can at least get up off the floor quickly. So at least he can actually finish a play. Not like it's amazing or anything, but it's enough that it makes it functional, I guess. That's, that's how I describe a lot of his game. It's very functional and just the fact that he plays with so much hustle makes it intriguing. Yeah, um, those are some some interesting points. Um, uh, I'm I'm on the latter point, uh, which is uh, his ability to get to the rim. Um, I wonder if he gets to the rim out of explosiveness, or if he gets to the rim due to his combination of you know just uh, his ability to absorb contact and his length I, I don't have measurements on his wingspan but he seems uh, he seems really long uh, so I wonder if if at an NBA setting you know just wingspan and um, and you know ability to take contact will allow him to get to the rim as much as he's getting into the G League uh, He's shooting 50% from the field, taking a bit of, not a lot of threes, but some threes. So that's that's a good number in terms of field goal percentage. Um, and then about his shooting, yeah, he needs a lot of, of time to, to get his shot off. I think he could work on that. And I, But I think the best bet for him as a shooter at the NBA level, should he reach that level, is uh, him being a pick and pop threat. So he is a good screener and he has really good awareness of space. So I think he could uh, really be a good pick and pop uh, shooter. But uh, as a guy who's going to shoot against uh, pressure or against defense, I, I don't see it at this point. Oh, no, I don't either. Uh, another thing, just with him being, I guess, such a high hustle guy, even though he's not particularly athletic and showing some moments where he's capable of making passes. I've even seen him make passes on the move and transition and push the floor, not incredibly fast or anything, but just, you know, he's like, what, six, he's got to be 6'10". Like, I think he was listed at 6'10". 
but uh, at that size, I wonder how he would do as a short roll playmaker, but I haven't seen any of it, so I can't really have a perspective. Yeah, um, I think uh, not a lot of offense is run to smile through smile luggage at, at this point in, in Santa Cruz, but um, I think, like, like I, I said previously, he has his flashes of passing. When, when you talk about how he was being used and made a comparison to the NBA, uh, I think he reminds me of how the Warriors used to use uh, Draymond Green at the high post earlier when in the first few years of, of Steve Kerr, uh, where they gave uh, Draymond the ball on the high post and then had the rest of the team just moving and going through screens and cutting. And Smilagic had a few flashes of, you know, being able to pass over the top of the over the top of the defense, sorry, uh, when getting the ball on the high post. And it's it's I, I I'm intrigued to see how he's able to build upon that. Um, at times I think uh, I don't really like how much he turns the ball over. Um, but I think I think he can be a bit careless with the ball, but that's the type of basketball they, the Santa Cruz plays. Um, they like uh, a lot of passes, a lot of guys going through screens, and a lot of trying to make the home run play instead of the safe play. So smile luggage turnovers are a bit of a result of that. But yeah, he has some some potential as a passer. Uh, as a passer from a standstill, I don't see him as a guy who's going to be able to drive and kick or drive and dish at this point. But as a standstill passer, yeah, I, I agree. He has some some flash, some potential there. Yeah, I wouldn't say he like can do anything on the move at an NBA level. I just, I guess you could say I saw it twice and was like, huh, I don't know. Maybe it becomes a thing, maybe it doesn't. I'm not going to really factor too much of it in my evaluation because it's still not fast moving enough or anything. So it's like he's going to probably get stopped before he even gets a chance to make that sort of pass. And he'll probably get yelled at if he tries to run up the floor when he's a center. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, anybody else have any questions about Smiley Gitch in particular? No? All right. Well, with that... We're going to try to go a bit faster paced now because we are already an hour in. Uh, time to get into rapid fire session with the rest of the guys in this like tier three and possibly you could even separate into tier four. First, we'll start off with uh, Tadas Sedekerskis. Uh, he has been out all season, but we're going to talk about what we've seen based on last season. Uh, Ignacio, how have you been feeling about him playing in the uh, Lithuanian League and also uh, last season at the FIBA Europe Cup? Yeah, so um, Selekerskis, really, really quick recap here. His uh, his contract belongs to Basconia, which is a Spanish team, and Basconia has loaned him out uh, to, to a lot of teams. This year he's playing in the Lithuanian League for uh, Nevesis. I think it's the team. Um, the thing with Selekerskis, the the main uh, selling point uh, as a prospect, is uh, his combination of size, handles, and shooting ability. He's six foot ten. Uh, he has a solid handle. I wouldn't say like 
he's super fluid to create his own shot, but that doesn't have as much to do with the quickness as it had. Uh, sorry, doesn't have to do as much with the handle or the fluidity as it has to do with its lack of quickness. Um, and he has been a really good shooter, even though on, on a small number of attempts, but he's shooting around 46% from three this season. Last season, he shot the ball really well too. So I think like maybe Sedekerskis is not the, you know, super enticing prospect. Uh, he was one of those players who played in the 2017 Nike Hoop Summit and he didn't really look that promising in that setting. But anytime a player is six foot ten, can dribble the ball and can shoot it, uh, he's gonna get NBA attention. I think Sedekerskis is a late second round pick this year. Uh, but yeah, I, I I think there's a lot of promise there uh, in terms of those three components: the shooting, the handles, and the size. But I I don't see how he puts it all together at an NBA level, especially because of his lack of quickness to play defense on on wings and forwards, and his lack of strength to defend bigger players. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say he's like particularly strong or particularly fast, but with what he has, I don't know if he could do much better than what he has at this point. Because uh, on defense, he gets in like, from what I remember, he gets in a really like wide and like deep stance, and he's constantly moving around and like trying to play one step ahead. It's not like he's like innate or anything with his knowledge, but like he's trying to play one step ahead as much as he can. Um, he some There's only a couple really times where it was like, you made the wrong decision. Why did you not cut off the baseline here? Stuff like that. So like he at least has a pretty good idea of where he's supposed to be going in order to cut off people on drives. But it's still going to be a major question of how is he going to be able to handle quicker players who can beat him to certain spots before he can get there, even if he knows where he wants to be on the court. Uh, offensively, I saw him take a more threes than he typically does, which was interesting for whatever reason that he was put in that position, but he performed pretty well. It didn't take particularly long for him to get a shot off for, you know, a guy that's especially a guy that's six foot ten. But uh he brings it up pretty high. He loads it at like the thigh or the knee or whatever to get a pretty decent amount of power. Usually usually the weird the only bad thing I could say was he kinda like uh, hop into him like he hops into his shot or whatever I think for sometimes and that's kind of frustrating because even like from a standstill they can like kind of kill the power you had in your your legs because you're having to like establish your position again on the floor from you know jumping or whatever but sometimes it makes sense to hop and sometimes it doesn't but either way it worked out really well from the games I saw he got a pretty high arc uh, as a handler he had a couple of really nice moments where he, he was able to drive and turn the corner. But at the end of the day, the big question for him is, despite his ability to handle, how fast is he going to be able to be at the next level where he's just barely getting by in some of these Europe Cup and Lithuanian League games? And, you know, the NBA is just, you know, it's obviously so much quicker, just stronger, better, in like pretty much every single way. So, yeah, that's almost everything, I think, or everything. 
Yeah, I think you pretty much covered what what I think about uh, Selikarski's. Uh, I don't know if you agree with me that he's like a mid to late second round pick uh, at best. I don't I don't know if you agree with me, but but I think that's that's his draft ceiling. Yeah, I mean, it really. Here's the thing: is that I'm starting on this draft from scratch, and I've probably watched. I don't know, 20, 25, 30 guys. And there's probably 70, 80 people that I, at least that I would really need to know. So it's too early at this point. I think it kind of depends on your team, but I'm interested in picking him somewhere in like the forties, you know, but like, yeah, probably that, not higher than that. That's in, that seems fair. I, I was just asking in a more like in a vacuum, like in a random draft, a player like Samanich, uh, sorry, uh, Sadakarskis would be taken like around that. Maybe that 40, 40th pick range is, is that is his ceiling. But in, in a general draft, not uh, Particularly this 2019 draft, I think he would be right, right there around the 40 to the the end of the draft. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if if he went if he theoretically went to the draft last year because you know he had injury problems this year and he might not play at all. I don't know. I would say he probably gets picked. Like I don't know. I'm just thinking where did where did uh, Kubica is that his name? Where did he get picked? I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I think um, he'd probably get picked around there, maybe. I think if, he was forty-six, maybe. I thought that I, was Melton. I will, I will Google it, but um, I think it was around forty-six, forty-seven. Fifty-five. Wow, I was way farther. Yeah, that's why I was thinking, like in, like yeah, last year's draft was pretty stacked, and I'd probably pick a set of in those fifties picks, but uh, in in. But last year's draft was particularly stacked in a typical draft, which, being honest with ourselves, 2019 is the representation of a quote-unquote typical draft. You have this, except for the fact that you have this one guy who, like, is so far ahead of everybody else, which is not necessarily typical. But you have a bunch of guys who kind of seem interesting, but all have a bunch of flaws and don't necessarily appear to be that the a franchise-changing player, uh, unless you're talking about the top guy or unless you're particularly high on one of them, just based on what we see so far. And in that sort of draft, he would get picked in the 40s, so the Kurskis, but, you know, it just kind of depends on the draft. So Yeah, definitely. All right, moving on to the next guy. This guy's all yours, Ignacio. How are you feeling about Dino Radoncic, uh, Luca's sort of best buddy? Yeah, so uh, Radoncic plays for Real Madrid, just like Luca played uh, there up until last year. Um, this is a guy that's not getting a lot of buzz uh, right now in terms of draft stock. And I, I really wonder why, because he's a six foot seven slasher with a really good frame, um, really fluid handler for his size. Uh, he's a guy that can create his own shot going to the rim. Um, and while he's not a super like this knockdown shooter, he can really uh, shoot off the dribble, shoot off movement. So might not be like a, like a sharp shooter, 
but he has the versatility to become a really good shooter uh, with time. Um, his free throw percentage is around the uh, upper 70s, low 80s each year. So that might indicate there's some, uh, how should I say it? There's some space for improvement there. And the other thing with, with Redoncic is that uh, he doesn't look super long, but he can really get to the rim and finish at the rim with especially if he has like an open lane or, or uh, like a straight line drive, he can really finish at the rim uh, explosively. I don't expect him to be as explosive should he get to the NBA level, but I think he can be, uh, he won't be limited by athleticism. So uh, overall, six foot seven slasher who can also shoot the ball not a high turnover guy, uh, has flashes of feel for the game, and athletically, he's not like this extremely good NBA athlete, but he won't be limited by athleticism uh, at the NBA level. So I think this is a guy that's, if he's not worth a flyer in the second round this year, he should be a guy that we should consider for, for the next few years. All right, uh, one more thing just about contract status. Uh, I was looking at his games this season. He's been playing at uh, San Pablo Burgos. Is that a loan situation or is that a new team with a new contract? Yes, yes that's, a, that's a loan situation. Uh, I think San Pablo has uh, a lot of, not a lot of, but has two or three guys that are, are young players that were um, loaned to them. Uh, they have uh, Vladko Kanchar, or Chanchar, I don't know his pronunciation. He was drafted by the Nuggets a few years ago. Uh, they have uh, Ognyan Jaramas. He was drafted by the Knicks a few years ago. So they have a few young pieces that uh, are loaned from, from other teams. And Radoncic was loaned out from, from Madrid because he wouldn't get enough minutes there. All right. And... Now it is time for us to talk about uh, Yavel Zusman, since we haven't gotten to him up to this point. Uh, playing for Maccabi Tel Aviv, uh, getting some pretty consistent rotation minutes, even in the EuroLeague. Uh, Richard, you got a chance to watch him some, and I saw you made some comments about him on Twitter. How are you feeling about him? I like, I like his game a lot. He's quick. Um, actually, more importantly, he's... He's able to adjust to the quickness. It looks like he plays at a high speed and completely under control, which is pretty rare for someone his age, I think. Uh, I mean, we see in the NBA a bunch of rookies up to really their third year, young guys just struggle to adjust to the pace of the NBA. And uh, he seems to have already mastered that. Like, I think he's almost best in a quick, you know, transition offense, quick half-court sets. So I really like that. Um, his shot isn't bad. Um, but he seems almost like a little bit of a point forward. I think he's six, 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 seven. I'm unsure, you know, if he's going to be more of a two or a three, but definitely, uh, definitely a solid wing prospect that I think is really gaining some, uh, some traction that we could see start getting mocked in the end of the first round. And he's, he's a long-term prospect, but he's going to be a good investment for some NBA team. Yeah, uh, I agree with pretty much anything, everything you said. 
Um, Sussman is the guy that's really rising from this international class lately uh, to the point where I wouldn't consider him as like this third tier guy. I think he's, he's right up there with Pitazde, with Samanich, and uh, I don't remember the other, oh, Cervetis. Uh, I think he's right up there with all those three guys. And if he keeps playing the way he's playing for Maccabi Tel Aviv, I, it wouldn't surprise me if he's uh, the second international player to get his name called in, in next year's draft. When you talk about Sussman, the first thing you notice is his ability to shoot the ball. He's a really good shooter from standstill, really quick shot release. Uh, he can shoot off movement. He can uh, handle the ball and shoot coming off screens. And that's really important in today's NBA. I think that uh, a guy that can really pull up and create his own shot and make pull-up threes, I think that's super important. And you're talking about a guy that's six foot six, so he has the positional size. He, uh, like Richard said, uh, he plays a bit of point forward at times. Um, when he's, he played a bit of point forward for that uh, under twenty Israel team that, you know, shocked a lot of people winning gold in the Euro Championships this year. Uh, and I say a bit of point forward because he only had like 3.5 assists, I think. And so that's not what you would want from your primary creator. But he's certainly a guy that can, you know, bring the ball up and make a play. He has really great ability to uh, make reads out of the pick and roll. He really knows how to use his screens to his advantage, whether it is to pass to the rollman, pass to the um, player on the perimeter, or just get to the rim and, and shoot. So, yeah, I really like uh, what what Sussman is doing right now. Um, and I, I, I wanna, I, I'm not as familiar with this game as I would like to be, or as I am with the prospects that we've discussed so far. So I think that as I get more into his game, I will start picking his game apart and see uh, where are where he is not an NBA player or where are his failures at. But right now I think uh, his search, his you know, him rising up draft for draft boards is completely justified. Yeah, and I mean especially whenever, you know, it's kind of it's relatively rare in like pretty much any class to have a guy playing, you know, what, 15, 20 minutes a game on a EuroLeague team in the EuroLeague. Like that's remarkable. And being like an effective player that can space the floor, play some quality defense and is, you know, kind of tough, you know, doesn't doesn't like shy away from being relatively physical and doesn't is not just not afraid on the court. So, yeah, he's definitely a very intriguing prospect. Um, in terms of being the second prospect taken as a European in this draft, um, where would that be? Would that be in, like, the 20s? Uh, that's a really good question. I, I, in, I don't think that... First, I don't think Sussman has, like, the body of work that you would expect... 
not not maybe not the body of work, but I don't think he had enough attention during this past few years. Uh, this is maybe the first year we're talking about Sussman, and he has been draft eligible. This will be his third year he will be eligible for a draft. So he's uh, a little bit older. He will be 21 by the time uh, the 2019 draft comes. And I don't know. I think this is, I don't know if you guys agree with me, this is not the most deep draft. And if you have several picks in the first round and you want to take a flyer on Sussman around the 22nd pick, I would really understand it. Uh, I think he's like a late first round prospect at best, but I would understand if you want a guy to to stash, I would understand picking Sussman over guys like we've discussed, like Bitalze, like Samanitro, like Servidis. All right. Personally, just what I've been hearing and some of the things I have been seeing, just uh, like, uh, what's the word, uh, skimming over his game. Zeusman, if he ends up in a Dallas Mavericks jersey, uh, I think he would fill a lot of holes or on on this sort of team or any team that's lacking, you know, wings to space the floor and uh, provide just general uh, ability to be capable in other areas of the court. So that's pretty awesome. Um in terms of picking him, for me, it's it's a toss-up, like I said, because I just don't know enough. Uh, Richard, do you have any other thoughts? Well, I um, I think it, the the weakness of this this draft in general, I'm not very high on it. I think that you've got a few guys at the top that are good. It reminds me a lot of 2012, where you have one through eight is pretty good, and then after that, it's just absolute hit or miss everywhere and in that kind of draft i think that's where you have to just i i I think it was said perfectly like if you just if you have three picks in the first round you would take that reach and taking someone like zeusman is not a bad idea so i i think you're going to find a lot of reaches like that especially in the international pool i think you're going to see a lot of teams gambling on long-term players rather than going for guys that are going to be able to play year one right now all right, speaking of year one and playing now or playing later, um, big question with Zeusman, uh, what's the contract uh, situation with uh, him? And, like, I guess you said he wouldn't be a guy to come over right now, but, like, do we have any idea how much longer he has left or if he, like, I don't know, has he ever said anything about wanting specifically to play in the NBA or something like that? And uh, also, will I've I've been hearing from like people who like have been around the draft that it's sometimes more difficult to draft players that are Europeans that have like a relatively large contract with a large buyout in the late in the late first round because you can't pay them whatever you want and the player above like seven hundred thousand is responsible to pay for the rest of their buyout. So I was wondering how that would affect his stock. Well, that's that's an interesting question. Um, you know, European contracts are not generally available to to you know people that are not uh, insiders. Um, uh, 
What I know is that uh, Sussman has extended his contract on, up until uh, 2021. Uh, he uh, extended his contract in 2017, where you know there was no draft hype around uh, Sussman back then. So if your club comes and tells you, hey, man, uh, here's some money to play for us for five years and you have nothing better to do, you take it. So I, I, I understand that, that decision. Um, I don't know how much, if he has a buyout clause and, and how much it is. Uh, that's not info that, oh, that's yeah, yeah. generally available. Of but, course, yeah. But yeah, there's, there's going to be a buyout uh, amount there. So that that gives uh my my position as uh you know as susman being a player that you would draft and stash uh that well that that gives him a little more of a stashability i know that's a made up word uh because you know in previous drafts um you've seen players that got drafted lower than they were supposed to because they wanted to come to the States right away. One of those cases was Ivik Sasuvac, who plays for the Lakers. He was um, uh, projected to be drafted around the 18th to the 20th pick. And he just told teams, no, I'm not staying in Europe for another year. I want to come to the NBA right away and the Lakers took a flyer on him and got him drafted, got an interesting player that has been up and down in the NBA, but it was interesting for the 32nd pick in a week draft. So at times teams value the fact that players are able and uh, are agreeing to stay in Europe for, for longer. Yeah, for sure. If I wish buyout information was publicly available, I wouldn't expect anybody that would ever feature on this podcast to know it, or even if they didn't know it, to release that sort of information because that information is very delicate. But uh, just it's kind of frustrating with how that whole process works, with how mysterious it is. It just really mucks up stock because whenever you think a player is worthy of taking in, in like, I don't know, 25th, but then they fall to like 35th, or 40th because the team doesn't have another pick until that point in the second round and they want to give them more money to buy them out or some sort of situation. But at the same time, it can help them if they're not a player that's of particularly high stature to get even better in Europe. So it's it's kind of a, a mixed bag, I guess you would say. I think another case we can look at this previous draft, I would say... I don't think there's any way a Kobo goes 31st if not for the fact because he's there's been even on draft night they were like Mike Schmitz was saying he wants to play in the NBA right away like as soon as they picked him whenever the crew asked him so I'd imagine if he was willing to stay in France to finish up his contract or or at least play longer he probably could have gotten picked somewhere in the 20s yeah um and the other thing about this uh, contract situation is that sometimes players have an an MBA uh, out clause. Like, okay, I, I signed the contract with you until 2021, but if the NBA comes calling, I'm I'm leaving right away. I don't think that's the case for Sussman. Generally, that type of contract is for uh, older 
older players or players that are coming from the States to play in Europe, but it could be uh, a case with Sussman. And yeah, it's, it's a bit frustrating, like you said. Uh, but I think it's not just a fault of the European teams. It's a fault of NBA's current rules. Um, you know, NBA teams, and, and I'm going on a bit of a rant here, but NBA teams have enough money to pay for uh, buyout clauses from players in Europe. Um, it's the NBA CBA that doesn't let teams just tell Maccabi Tel Aviv, okay, how much do you want for Sussman? Fine, here's the money. Um, but that's an NBA CBA thing that I completely don't understand why, but yeah, it's, it's frustrating, like you said. Yeah, the only reason I could think of for that existing is... I don't know when that rule was put in place. So say it was put in at a time when the NBA was struggling, like the 70s or the 80s. And there were teams in smaller markets that really were struggling to hang on. So those sorts of teams would have a real competitive disadvantage signing international players with trying to buy out players from contracts. That's about the only logical reason, because once you hit the 90s, the NBA's popularity took off, and pretty much every team is profitable now, with some exceptions that have been repaired for the most part. Yeah, that that's fair. That's fair. Um, I, I just think that in current NBA situation, that might not last forever, but in the current economic situation of the NBA, uh, that that rule has absolutely no no place. But yeah, just it's it's frustrating uh, because uh, it limits the ability from teams to acquire talent that is not on the NBA, and it limits teams' ability to improve uh, the talent pool that is currently in the NBA. Yeah, and then on top of that, you would think the players would be against the concept too because then they're the ones having to pay the money. Yeah, I obviously no one wants to lose money, uh, but I think uh, Europe thinks about sports differently and as someone who has grown in a country where uh, soccer is the main, it's not the main national sport, it's the main national event. People live and breathe soccer here, uh, or football, we call it football here. Um, you know, uh, buyout clauses and this sort of structuring contracts is what most European uh, players are, are used to. Uh, it's just the only country that doesn't have you know, buyout clauses and, you know, has a salary cap and that where contracts can be traded is the U.S. So I think, yeah, it's frustrating for the players, but they know that's the rules of the game in Europe. Well, I don't, I don't necessarily against the concept of the buyout. I just mean the CBA rule where they're, the NBA is limiting. Oh, Oh, and, like, sorry. the players have to pay out what's left so that the NBA oh, team can't pay. Sorry, sorry. I, I, mis I completely misunderstood the question. Yes, yes. That must be really frustrating for them. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, with that, I think it's time for us to go rapid fire and finish off the rest of these guys who are all relatively fringe for, like, the NBA draft. 
And but if they did want to come out, this is probably the one year where they would have a realistic chance of getting picked for based on what we have seen so far, and also just you know getting attention with how relatively weak this class is. Moving on to the first guy, we have a uh, Borisha Borisha Simonic. Uh, I believe he plays for Red Star. Uh, Bids, that's your guy. How you been feeling about him? Um, <clears throat> he's he's an interesting prospect. Yeah. Uh, Tall, skinny guy, 6'11", 220. Uh, I think if you're looking at what's projectable, I think he has a good-looking shot from three, uh, 37% from three right now. I think he's shooting 85% from the free throw line. So uh, a stroke that you can trust, basically. Uh, he's very active. Uh, that could be a good thing and a bad thing sometimes. Uh, he overruns his man a lot on D uh, or flies by trying to chase down a block and takes himself out of the play. Uh, so I think he needs more discipline in that area. Uh, but he runs really well. He, he shoots really well. He's got good touch inside. Uh, doesn't finish through contact yet because of how skinny he is. But I think he's a guy that, uh, I mean, he's going to be 21, I believe, come draft time. So he's not uh, a lot of time for him to, to grow. But I think if he can add some weight, uh, he could be a dangerous uh, pick-and-pop type three, uh, four-man, I mean. Yeah, um, just a quick uh, addition to to what Mike said. Um, he was a guy that had he was a draft Twitter favorite back in 2017, and then he came. Uh, he went to the states for the Nike Hoop Summit of 2017, and he looked like he didn't belong on the floor, and he just disappeared from every mock draft or big board I've seen since then. Uh, he the, the main thing that happened this season is that he really found consistency on his shot, uh, which is really good to see. And I agree with you. His NBA uh, outlook is as a six foot 11 guy who can handle the ball a bit in, in space, not enough to create shots, but you know, maybe to run um, dribble handoffs and just a guy who can be a, a threat from the outside. All right, is that everything on Simonich? Yes. All right, moving on to the Dutchman. I'm not the Dutchman. Wrong country. The Belgian, who uh, Vrens Bleisenberg, who plays for the Antwerp Giants and also the Belgian youth team, of course. Uh, my main issue with the situation with uh, Bleisenberg is how like most of his games are impossible to find because it's the Dutch league and he still doesn't really get playing time. So pretty much my only basis of him as a professional player to look at film is against the Cypriot team where they blew him out by 30. So, you know, it was what it was. But in that game specifically, um, he had a, the weirdest thing with his jumper where it looked like he was shooting from, like, his chin. And, and it just looked, like, ridiculous. Like, it looked like a push shot that was ridiculously the worldly. So I was like, why are you releasing at your chin? But yeah, I, I would say I would say that uh, Bleichenberg's shot is La Melo-esque uh, <laughs> in terms of how just broken it is. But he shots 47% from three, which is even more insane. Yeah, like, he, he makes them, but it's just like, what am I watching? <laughs> but yeah, he, he gets pretty high arc on it and stuff. He doesn't jump particularly high, so he's not having to worry about release timing as much. It's 
it seems like he has the release down. It's just really strange first impression. But another thing I was really impressed by was he's like he's got to be at least like a wing size, like what six five, six six at least, if not bigger. Lightenberg, maybe six eight, six nine. But Light- Lightenberg is six foot ten. Oh, he's six ten. I was like, he has to be big because yeah. he looks big, but at the same time, he's on a youth level, so I don't want to go crazy. But uh. Yeah, he's like running these pick and rolls and then pocket passes, uh, over the top passes, stuff like that. Just being able to handle and shoot at that size is pretty remarkable for some random guy in the some quote unquote random guy in the Dutch league that doesn't get much minutes. You'd think he could get more. Uh, at the youth level, he really showed some confidence in the B division against Estonia, really taking some really deep threes, and that was also pretty remarkable. And you saw a lot more of the pick and roll game. Uh, defensively, he looked pretty skinny to me, so he really like could get out physical at times, and also he could get beat off the dribble because he isn't particularly fast or quick, even though he can handle himself relatively well. Just for you know, a guy that isn't particularly well known is six foot ten and isn't playing too often as a professional. Yeah, uh, I think you hit the na- the nail in the head with uh, Bleichenberg. His main um attractive as a prospect is his ability to handle the ball for his size and his ability to shoot the ball even though his jumper is kind of broken. Um, He put up six assists per game in the uh, Division B Championship for Belgium. Uh, He actually led that tournament in in assists per game, which is insane considering he's a 6'10 guy. Um, He's... uh, Block numbers and his steal numbers are really good. Um, and yeah, the thing with Blanchenberg will always be, okay, you've done this at the junior levels, but how good can you be against, you know, pro, uh, pro level guys? How good can you be against grown men? And until I see him in that setting, uh, getting consistent minutes, I don't consider him an NBA prospect. But a six foot ten guy who can really shoot the ball, or at least who can really make threes and really pass the ball and make advanced reads, will always be an enticing prospect for me. All right, next guy, rapid fire. Richard, did you get a chance to see much of Zoran Panovic? I did not. Um, yeah, he was one of the guys I didn't really get a chance to see. Um, I think I saw a little bit of him. I think he's a below the rim player for the most part. Uh, with a little bit of explosiveness, but that's just about all I've gotten on him so far. Yeah, not playing much for Partizan this season. He only had one game, uh, if I recall correctly, where he played over 10 minutes, and that's kind of frustrating because I don't. He doesn't appear to have any injury because he's played recently and he's played in November. It's kind of sad just that he can't get minutes. Yeah, uh, exactly. He, I think he has played a grand total of like 30 minutes this season among all games. Um, Paunovic is uh, another draft Twitter favorite. I know a lot of people who I really respect that are really high on Paunovic. I'm not one of those people. Um, He's six foot six. He has really good size. If you consider him a point guard, I don't really consider him a a main initiator at the NBA level at this point. really long arms, uh, moves really well laterally, and has some explosiveness on the open court. Um, The shot has always been a concern, 
but he went to the under-18 European tournaments and shot around 40% from three on a low volume, but that that seemed to be um, an advance for him. The thing with Paunovic is that he is um, advertised as this, like, multi-positional defender with amazing, uh, you know, quickness and anticipation. And at the under-18 tournaments, I didn't really see that. Uh, he, I don't want to say he was disappointing, but I don't think he really lived up to the hype. I was really expecting to see him this season at the pro level, so I could, you know, finally get around uh, more to his game, but... Uh, it's sad that that I, I I wasn't able to to watch him do to the the low amount of minutes he played. But again, I think there's some athletic um, interesting tools there, and his ability to handle the ball for his size is good. I want to know if his shooting is for real, and I want to know if uh, he can improve on on that. You know, not disappointment, but failing to live up to the hype defensively at the under-18 level. All right, moving on to the two Latvians, uh, both Arturs, Arturs Kurix, who is a a sibling of Rodion's Kurix, recently drafted, and also Arturs Zagars, uh, or Zayers Zagars, whatever. Uh, they made it to the final of the A-Division U18 uh, tournament this summer. And uh, in the in the final that I did get to see, um, Zagars was super confident. He was taking a whole bunch of really deep threes, and and uh, he ran off screen once, and he made that three too. His arc is pretty decent, just for a guy who's pretty short, because sometimes those guys can really just try to jump as high as they can and just fling it forward. But he's not quite as bad with that sort of problem. Uh, he can make a lot of pocket passes and pick and rolls, and you know feed the feed it over the defense through traffic to uh, rollers and uh, probably cutters. But I didn't get a chance to see that yet in the footage. Um, Kurix, he didn't get a chance to shine in that game. At what from what I saw so far, he was mostly playing off ball, and he was kind of just like sat in the corner. But in a couple possessions, he got a chance to ISO, cross over, and then burst past his man. Not particularly fast, but just fast enough at that level, which is a big question. Is, is he fast enough at NBA level? But uh, he managed to get to the rim and then fling up this layup all the way over this, this big man trying to block a shot and get the fall off glass, which was a really impressive play. He had a couple spot-up threes. Uh, so that's pretty much all I saw. The defense, he was mostly playing on guys that weren't with the ball and weren't being run around a whole lot. But you, so it's kind of like a question mark for what I've seen so far. Seen so far, Ignacio, how you feeling about the Latvians? Yeah, I'm. I'm going to start with Kuroks because I'm. I'm like on an island with with Kuroks because I'm. I'm really high on him. Um, he's a six foot three guard. Uh, like you said, he played off the ball uh, because they had Arthur Sagers, who is was the main ball handler for for that Latvian team. But still, Kuroks uh, put up 4.3 assists in that tournament. So when he got the ball, he had the chance to show uh, just how much basketball IQ he has, just how much court awareness he has. And um, that play you mentioned where he blow by his man, every game where you had like 
one or two player plays like that. Um, this is a guy who has a really fluid handle and has quickness for the European junior level. I wonder how that holds up to the NBA. But all in all, I think Kuroks is a guy that can handle the ball, create his own shot, uh, shoot off the catch, and make passes. I worry about his defensive translation to the NBA. But all in all, I think it's a guy who does a lot of things really well. I don't know if he's great at this one thing. So his potential just screams like third string to backup point guard. But uh, with that being said, if you take... Uh, a guy in the second round and his ceiling is backup point guard and he ends up being a backup point guard, I think you really, you know, hit that pick. In in terms of Sagers, I hate comparisons, but they play together, so I'm comparing them all the time. Uh, Sagers is a better passer than Kuroks. He's probably a better shooter off the dribble, but I, I wouldn't like say he's like much better than Kuroks. I think I don't like Sager's handles as much as I like Kuroks. And the other main difference between them is that Sager's is playing in the second tier of Spanish basketball and Kuroks is playing on the third tier. So I wonder uh, how is Kuroks would do against you know better competition uh this is the first year both guys are eligible they uh, were born born in 2000 the two of them so they have two or three years more of eligibility so uh these are guys that i would consider for 2020 or 2021 i don't think they're 2019 prospects but they are guys to watch definitely um so couple of quick questions first about Corix. I was wondering he's playing for Basconia's reserves in the in the LEB Plata. Why hasn't he been loaned out because he's clearly playing well enough that he should be at a higher level than the silver. He should at least be at the same league as Corix. I mean as same league as Zager so that they can play against each other or something. Just it should be somewhere else other than their reserve team that's not even in the second tier. Yeah, uh, that I think has to do with the fact that uh, uh, Sager's contract uh, belongs to Joventut and the team, their their junior team, quote-unquote, or their second team, is uh, Prat Juventud, who plays in the second tier, while the Basconia uh, affiliate team plays on the third tier. So it has more to do with the... Uh, the structure uh, of each team than than uh, on how their their prospects are are viewed. Um, Kuroks is really playing well at the third tier. I don't know why they don't loan him out. Maybe they trust. Maybe Basconia trusts their their um, their assistant coaches and their training staff more than they would trust other teams training staff in terms of getting, you know, Kurek's minutes and getting him ready. So maybe there's a bit of that, but I, I don't really have the intel. What the good part of this is that, you know, Kurek's is really the man for, for that uh, Basconia affiliate team. He's taking five, tr- 
threes per game. He's playing 30 minutes, so he's getting a lot of play time. But yeah, the the level of com- competition might not be the best. Yeah, I mean, let's put it this way. I remember seeing this random dude on the internet who had a blog, and he was talking about how he moved up from the fourth tier of Spain to the LEB Plata. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it is what it is with that. I just. Here's the thing. If, you, if you're a Basconia and you trust your coaches so much and you trust your, your system so much, why is your reserve team not in the second tier? Because you are one of the best teams in Europe. You're not just one of the best teams in Spain. You're not just one of the best teams in the region. You're a team that's consistently competing and pushing to make the Final Four, especially whenever you all have a really good roster. Why is your reserve team in the third tier of Spain? That doesn't make sense. Yeah, that that's a good question. Actually, um, I think it doesn't really have to do much with uh, where you want your team to be. It's more like uh, in Spain they have like relegation and promotion. So if you want to be in the second tier, uh, that team has to earn it. Uh, that team has to be, you know, first or 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 second in that in that level to to get to that. Um, to get to that second tier. So no matter how much money you put on the team, uh, you're always going to be, you need to earn it on the court. Um, But yeah, I I, I get what you're saying. I don't have absolutely no uh, intel on on Kuruks and on Basconia, but, you know, at, at times teams rather have their players grow up through their own ranks than than loan players out, uh, which is kind of funny because Basconia is the same team that's loaning Sedekarski uh, sorry every year, but you know we don't know what's what's the plan for 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 Kuruks in in Basconia. I would really like to see him play next year. If if he doesn't get loaned out, uh, at least. I, I'd like to see him play minutes at the at the main Basconia team. Well, I mean, if he earned minutes at the Basconia team, that'd be fantastic. But I just yeah, they they have their. I, I just wanted to say that their point guard rotation right now is Marcelo Huertas, that played NBA up until like what two years ago. Yeah. Uh, Jason Granger, uh, who is one of the best. Uh, point guards in Europe and he's also from Uruguay so uh, he's he's from my hometown and uh, Luca Bildosa uh, a guy from Argentina that's uh, has been a really good uh, handler they have uh, Darren Hillier who used to play for Detroit Pistons he's more of a two guard but can handle in some situations so they are uh, stacked at the point guard position uh, so that might have to do with the fact that Kurux is, is not seeing minutes at the higher level. Yeah, I mean, it's understandable. My situation with the entire thing is just, you know, if you have such a dominant team with so many resources and you have confidence in your coaches to this point, why have your coaches at this at this reserve level not been able to deliver upon your confidence, I guess is my question. Because you would yeah. think... If your coaches are so good, you could maintain your reserve team being a second uh, second division whenever Joventude, uh, which is I, I don't know how good they are, but I, I don't think they're on Basconia's level in in the first division. It's safe to say, 
whenever Yovantu can have a, a team in the second division, why can't Basconia get on that level? I guess. Yeah, that that's that's a fair question to to have. Um, the thing is, I I want Kurux to get minutes on on a better level of competition and and see what he can do against against grown men or against pros. So so I. I think it's a it's a really interesting prospect to to track down for the future. Yeah, for sure. Hopefully, he gets loaned out like Sedekerskis and doesn't get injured. But uh, yeah, regardless, uh, all's the future wishes for him. Uh, moving on to the last guy, where we're just gonna play the sad violin for a minute. Uh, Ko- uh, Kostya, is that right? Kostya yes. Mashidi. Uh, Bibs, why don't you start playing the violin right now? I don't know what a violin sounds like off the top of my head. <laughs> no, not ever. Close enough. Close enough. Uh, I was actually just doing some reading on uh, Costa to see if I could figure out a little bit more about what's going on with him. Um, so, first of all, um, I guess he claims German. He has German nationality. I think he's from Belgium originally. But he was a guy I really liked last year, actually, as a potential mid second round sneaky pick. I mean, physically looks the part. I think he was 6'5", 210 last year. I think he's up to 225 now, just a big body. Um, his shot wasn't the greatest, but he he likes contact, draws fouls, a pretty good clip. Uh, I thought his playmaking was pretty good. Uh, on the money passes, from what I could tell, every, when I watched Mega last year, um, on defense, he moves his feet pretty well. Uh, sometimes it was too aggressive, but that's fine for me for a raw prospect. Uh, he's athletic. I mean, uh, he rebounds as a guard. He just looked the part to me. I really, really, really enjoyed him last year. And when he pulled out, I thought, all right, maybe he's hoping to get into the first round. Uh, So then fast forward to this year, and he's not anywhere to be found. He's not playing. Um, And then I guess this past week, uh, you guys were talking about it earlier, uh, before the podcast, uh, he announced that he was leaving the team. And uh, this comes after Goga had already left the team for Budognost last month, I believe, as well. Um, It's believed, based on what I just read, that uh, join a German team soon. Uh, So apparently it's not his health. I'm not sure what the issue was there for him, but it would be great to see him, you know, on a basketball court here in the next few months, at least. Yeah, uh, I was just like you. I was super high on, on Mushiri. I think it was around the 2017 draft where he was, you know, getting buzz as a late first, early second round pick. He went to the States for uh, Nike Hoop Summit. He was really good at that game. A a bit turnover prone, but he, you know, shot the ball well. He got to the rim. uh, He made a few steals. Um, He has, I I think it was a seven-foot wingspan, uh, which was really really good for his size and that shows on defense um but then he withdrew his name from that 2017 draft then he got injured he couldn't play for most of 2018 and right now this year uh he played up until november and never played again for mega and like you said, Eurohopes uh, just reported on Twitter that he is back on Germany. He 
we don't know if he's going to join another team. Um, I, I've seen some people on Twitter speculate about maybe he's having a bit of a relapse in terms of his injury that he had last year, which is really sad. I, I really like Mushiri as a prospect in terms of measurements and his potential. I didn't really like him as much of as an offensive player. I thought his shot selection was really poor and and I never saw him fixing that. But when he went to the under 20 uh, tournament this summer, he gained an all tournament selection as one of the best players. And I thought, okay, well, Mushiri might be back, but right now with this, I, I don't know if he's, he's back. Next year will be his final year of eligibility. And after that, he's just an NBA free agent. Some guys have made the leap from free agents uh, in Europe to the NBA, like uh, Daniel Theis or uh, Brad Maxi Wanamaker. Cleaver. Yeah, Maxi Cleaver. Ryan Brokoff. Exactly. But I don't, it, it's not that common for that to happen. So I wonder if this is the last we hear about Mushiri as an NBA prospect. But again, best wishes for him and hopefully he can turn it around and we can be talking about him next year as a, as a draft prospect. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, because if we're just looking at numbers, we haven't seen a performance this like just generally bad from Mashidi since his first professional year on record playing for a French second division team. Yeah. And... Uh, I just have a question actually about that because the next season he played exactly one game in the French League and that's it. Has he had an injury history? Uh, that's a good question actually. Um, for what I've seen and and I absolutely have no intel on this. Uh, he played in for Roendorf in the German uh, second tier and oh, he German. made the move. Oh. Yeah. And he made the move to Strasbourg, uh, which is a uh, first year of French basketball. But I remember him playing uh, in that 2016 season. I think he played for a junior team, but Real GM doesn't have the the stats. Uh, so, but he was. Uh, this was 2015, 2016. So he was 17, 18 years old. So that that might be why he he didn't get enough minutes. On, on that team. And then he made a move to, to Mega Baymax. And well, Mega is a, a team that really loves their young players and their NBA prospects. So I, I think that uh, a per, how bad his performance is might be because that's just the style of basketball that Mega plays. It's like, well, you are young guys, go out there, run the floor, take as many shots as you want. Uh, there's no reason why Mushidi should be taking 11 shots per game. Uh, there's no reason why Mushidi should be taking seven threes per game. But, well, that's mega Baymax for you, I guess. Yeah, they're looking to try to see the guy get hot for 10 games so they can sell him. But, <laughs> I mean, exactly. I thought this makes a lot more sense now because I saw Pro-V. I was thinking L&B Pro-V because it kind of sounds like a Frenchish kind of name. Yeah, it it actually is LMB Pro B. That's that's the name of the league. Yeah, so that's LMB Pro B is the French. Exactly. 
Yeah, so the, yeah, as that's why I was thinking. I, I thought it was LMB Pro B. So I was like, I thought he was playing in the French second division, so like it wasn't that much of a step up. But if he's playing in the German Pro B, that's third division. So exactly. Like, I don't even know why he would have made the move to Strasbourg in the first place. Whenever you know Strasbourg doesn't have a particular reputation reputation of playing young players, and you just you need to be playing at a pro level and not playing at a random junior level if you want to assert yourself or if you're playing at a random junior level to be playing at one of the higher levels which was unless he was unless Strasbourg has a particularly notorious youth team which I don't know about so uh, wasn't uh, Strasbourg I'm, I might be wrong here but wasn't Strasbourg the team that had uh, Frank Nilekina they did to the but draft? he actually he actually played for them and stuff but yeah he was he was a key piece for for that Strasbourg team that I, I don't remember right now if they uh, won that French tournament or if they just made the finals, uh, but but yeah, he was a key piece in that in that team. Yeah. All right. So with all that being considered, uh, I believe that's everybody. Yeah. So with that, this has been the international special episode of the third round picks featuring our special guest Ignacio Risotto, who I cannot thank enough for being on this podcast with us. It really means a lot. You can check out his work on the step in also on Twitter at Ireball, spelled E Y R E ball, no caps. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you guys for having me. Uh, I'm sorry if this came comes out a bit unlistenable or if I uh, invented a few words in English language but as you might see English is not my, my first language but uh, I, I want to I really appreciate you guys for, for having me here it's been a lot of fun alright thanks for coming on Ignacio we appreciate your time yeah thank you All right, did we go over everybody? All right, cool. And uh, with that, is that's all. Bye. Special shout out to our guy Anthony Utu for helping us with the with acquiring film for uh, Sakuna Boya. It was a bit of a trouble, and we really appreciate it. Sorry, y'all. I forgot to plug my stuff. For at the end of the uh, podcast because of a time crunch. So uh, you can find my work on lockdraft.com. Also, there's going to be a future piece on thedallasprospect.com about the Texas Legends uh, players, specifically the two-way guys in Ray Spalding. Um, in addition, the Lockdraft website should be coming back up soon. Uh, you can find the Lockdraft podcast coming out again Hopefully pretty soon as well. Thanks for listening. And yeah. And I forgot to mention my uh, Twitter is at RangersKing669. Hope to see some of y'all out there. And uh, big thanks to Ignacio for joining us in the episode. I don't know whether I said it in the episode or not, but he's a really uh, incredible guy. And it's really awesome just to be able to speak to someone who gets to focus on these international guys and really knows a lot. So we appreciate it.